Well, good morning. Good morning. Take your Bible, find Acts chapter 9, and I just want to say, can we just, just give thanks for the talents and abilities and the service of the worship leaders? Thank you all so much. And uh, I mean, I guess you, man, I don't know if I've ever heard a harmonica player as good as that one at church, you know. Now, let me just ask him. He's getting ready to leave. That's just like a harmonica player. He's leaving during the sermon. And, uh, but um, are, do you call it a harmonica at church? You have a fancier name for it. I'm not sure. But anyhow, but man, it was, it was a good time of worship. Thank you for singing with all your heart and your soul and for offering that unto the Lord. Well, good morning. Let me, just, let me just take a word to say thank you because of the role that I'm in now. As Joe said, thank you for that introduction. I appreciate that. Um, I did pastor. I, in 2002, founded a church called Parkway Baptist Church around near where Cosby High School is in the southwest part of Chesterfield County. And uh, planted that church, pastored that, started with about 13 families. Uh, were supported by churches like this one. In fact, uh, a guy named Jeff Ginn was pastor here then. And Jeff was a good friend and a mentor to me in so many ways in a kind of a crazy way of God's providence. I'm now in a role, for those who know Jeff, I'm in the role that Jeff uh, went to serve in. Of course, he's now in Louisiana pastoring. And, and uh, so planted that church, pastored that church, saw God just do some very encouraging, wonderful things there. And then really uh, kind of uh, to my surprise, I guess you'd say, uh, God uh, worked through the leaders of our state Baptist convention, which is what the SBC of Virginia is about. A little over 600 some churches like Mount Pleasant that join together to support missionaries and to help seminary students and to do work all around this world, planting churches in this state like the church I planted. And so that call came and they said, we believe you should come here and serve uh, in this role, uh, helping to... uh, attempt to lead this endeavor and to encourage churches, strengthen churches, try to help mobilize churches for the purpose of proclaiming Jesus Christ and planting more churches and seeing more disciples made. So I want to say thank you for your support, even though you probably didn't even know about it in 2002 because of just your prayers and your support and your giving through Southern Baptist Missions, through the Quad Program, church planners like myself are able to serve with greater confidence. Even this morning coming on the way over here, I got an email from a young lady who must be a student at UNC Chapel Hill. And I've got a, a young man serving with me this summer who I've pastored him for over 10 years. And he's, uh, he's a student there. He's a friend of, uh, she's a friend of his. And, and she's wanting to go, she's wanting to serve next year with, some, with a ministry. And so she's having to raise support kind of person by person. And, and many ministries function that way. And there are many well-meaning ministries like that. But I want to say thank you because there are about 5,000 missionaries serving outside of this continent around the world through the International Mission Board that don't really have to do that uh, in fear that they're not going to be able to serve overseas because churches like Mount Pleasant week after week after week pray for missionaries, give to support missionaries. I think about 16,000 seminary students who receive about 50% of a scholarship towards all their tuition, et cetera, to go to one of our seminaries. Your church helps make that possible. And I want to say thank you for a lot of people that you may never meet. And we don't do that a lot at our churches because we're about getting in the word and we're getting ready to do that. But you just need to know that. You need to know that tonight when you get ready to go to sleep and you put your head on your pillow and the sun begins to set here in central Virginia, you need to be aware of this, that the sun is not setting on your ministry. Missionaries are getting up, ministers of the gospel are getting up, churches are being planted and disciples are being made on the other side of the world. 
because of what this church, because of its powerful partnership with others is making possible. I think about the fact that the church that I planted and started in 2002, we were immediately able to be a part of a great, great worldwide missionary effort with, with, with wonderful, much larger churches like Mount Pleasant uh, because of groups like the Southern Baptists here in Virginia. So thank you for your prayers and your support because there are really a lot of unsung heroes out there. There's a lot of people God's using and I'm not sure the average person sitting in the pew always realizes how God is using them. And that's really what I want to talk about for a few moments today from Acts chapter 9 is about Ananias. Now there are two Ananiases in the Bible. This is a good one, all right? Uh, and Now I've never met I've never met a little kid at church named Ananias, all right? I mean, I've met Peters and Phillips, and I think it's because of the other Ananias. But I'm telling you, this Ananias, man, I've got, I've got a 12-year-old son. This Ananias is, is, a, is a worthy guy to see as an example. And it was really because of a friend of mine sitting where you're sitting right now who had listened to me preach for years, who finally came up to me one day, he said, he said what, about, what about one day a sermon on someone like Ananias? You know, somebody who's kind of just a, really a nobody in the Bible, something on that. And so it really challenged me. And so as I was thinking about you today, I just knew you're coming off vacation Bible school. You're in the middle of summer. And I wanted to bring a word of encouragement to you to understand this, that God can use you. God can use you in a powerful way. Now, now we're on the, we're on the you know, I was amazed. The other day I was driving back from Williamsburg and I cut through here. My in-laws live here in Colonial Heights. My wife, just a bit of trivia here to kind of connect, you know. Um, my wife uh, did her sophomore, junior, and senior year at Colonial Heights High School. And, um, and uh, played basketball there and, and all that. We met at James Madison University. And, and so my in-laws are still here. I've got a brother-in-law here in town. And so we were cutting through by Fort Lee. And I was like, man, Fort Lee, since I'd last been down there, and it, maybe it's been a while, but Fort Lee has just exploded from the last time I'd seen it. And I've always, I grew up in a real military area down the southeast part of the state. And I was always kind of found it humorous. And if I'm talking about someone in here that fits this classification, I, I, don't, I don't mean any harm by it. But I was always intrigued that like on a snow day, that the army bases down where I was from, they would have on there like only essential personnel need to come. And I always kind of felt for the person who really wasn't essential, you know, like, like okay, it's a snow day, you know. When it's good weather, we need you in the army, but today we don't, all right? And uh, so, you know, now I'm just kind of being facetious. You get that, right? And, um, but I want you to hear something loud and clear. In the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, in a church like this, listen, listen. Every single one of you is mission critical. Every single one of you is essential personnel. Now, in the ministry, we kind of come up with titles. Even in a church like a Baptist church, you know, we don't have as many titles as some other denominations do, but I've got a job title, you know. Uh, you've got pastors and serve here. You've got different lay leaders. You've got deacons. You've got committee people. You've got Sunday school teachers. Everybody's got a title, right? And sometimes people feel like there's kind of rank order, and there, there are different roles, and we have to have order in the church. But understand this. Understand this. Let me be really clear here. Bottom line is this, is every single one of you in the body of Christ is mission critical. Let me just kind of have you say back to me, I'm mission critical. All right, you got to warm up, okay? I'm mission critical. All right, because you know what? That Golden Corral down the street's been really crowded lately, and I know you're needing to get there, all right? And uh, I've not been in it, okay? And, uh, but I'm sure it's nice. And uh, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9 is about Ananias. And, and, and when you think of mission critical, I'm reminded of something that took place 45 years ago. Now, many of us in this room, I was born in 1970, 
And I know that's beginning to sound old to, to several of you in here. And, uh, but I, I don't remember this. I was born a year after this took place. But 45 years ago today, my parents were gathered around a black and white television set to watch something take place that had never happened. Some of you, I hope you at least know your history. Some of you may remember watching it. 45 years ago today, Americans, in fact, they tell us that around the world, 500 million people tune in to watch the first person step foot where? On the moon, on the moon. Apollo 11, if we were alive 45 years ago, Apollo 11 right now had made its way around the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were beginning to make their way to land on the surface of the moon. And Neil Armstrong would famously step those first human feet onto the surface of the moon, which for thousands of years, people like him, people like you and me, all we could do is just look at this moon in the sky, and now one of us was there. Shortly after Buzz Aldrin, he too would step his soles of his feet on the surface of that moon. And Neil Armstrong, of course, famously gets on there. He says, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But I want to tell you something that, that you may not realize. Twelve men would end up stepping on the moon. But 400,000 Americans would work behind the scenes to make that possible. Now, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, you know those names. You probably don't know the name of the engineer who worked on the lunar module. You might not know the name of the technician that hooked in those tubes to fuel those rockets. You might not know the person that made Neil Armstrong breakfast the day before he launched to go to the moon. But 400,000 unsung heroes made it possible for 12 other people to walk on the face of the moon. And I want you to know they were mission critical. You are mission critical. So I want to ask you to stand with me and honor God's word. Let's stand together if we could. In this day and age where people don't often know where to stand, I want you to remember today that you can stand upon God's word. Acts chapter 9 verse 10. Let me read it. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Say Ananias. Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. He's seen Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Ananias answers the Lord. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately the Bible says something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your encouraging word. And Lord, I do pray today it will be an encouraging word for this, your church, that each and every one of us will be reminded or perhaps maybe really just 
consider for the first time that we can be used by your grace for your glory. So God, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart to be pleasing in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and be seated. I really want to give you four encouragements. You can take that little note page they kindly provided for you. I want to give you four encouragements from, from this episode in the Bible, from this episode in the life of Ananias. And here's the first encouragement. Write this one down. The Lord Jesus, listen to this, the Lord Jesus can use even the most unknown disciple to make a difference. He can use even the most unknown disciple to make a difference. Ananias is mentioned only two places in the Bible. Acts chapter 9, which I just read to you, and Acts 22, when Paul gives his testimony. So remember this encouragement today. Even, even the most unknown disciple can be used by Lord Jesus to make a difference. So just look here at how he is described. Verse 10 in the Bible. The Bible says there was a disciple. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. That's really basically what we're told about him. He's a disciple. So I wrote down some attributes about Ananias to keep in mind. I wrote down he's just an ordinary person. I mean, it doesn't say he's a pastor. It doesn't say that he's a deacon, an elder. It doesn't say that he is anything other than a disciple. And I find it interesting that the description and the person chosen by God to go and minister to Saul upon his conversion is an ordinary person. I think Paul came to understand why the Lord would choose such an ordinary Joe to come and minister to him to start with. In fact, he writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, when God takes an ordinary Joe and he uses him for extraordinary purposes, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. I was reading or heard about somewhere just the other week about this man who had, he'd come to a place in his life where he, he, wanted, he wanted to become a Christian. He wanted to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but he did something I found very odd. He decided to get in his automobile and drive to where he had heard a Billy Graham crusade was taking place so he could tell people that the place where he came to Christ was a Billy Graham crusade and the person that he had heard preach was Billy Graham. You see, sometimes we kind of want to flock around some type of celebrity that we think is there. But God says, listen, I can use the ordinary person. I can use my disciple. So what does it mean to be a disciple? Disciple means learner. It means that he was a learner. That's really the main thing said about him. He, he likely had sat at the feet of Jesus and learned, yet he was not one of the famous 12 disciples. He was a follower of Jesus, an imitator of Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. Charles Spurgeon has said, he who gets beyond a disciple rises beyond his proper place. Think about that. He was an ordinary person. I want you to hold your finger there at Acts 9. I want you to look at Acts 22 with me. I want you to see it in your Bible with your own eyes. Just, just find Acts 22 in your, in your scripture. I want you to find Acts 22 and find verse 12. Because here we have Ananias mentioned again and we get a little bit more insight into this unknown disciple. So we're told he's an ordinary person. We're told he's a disciple. He's a learner. And now in verse 12, look at verse 12 with me. The Bible says, and one Ananias, a devout man. We read here that he is a devout man. You know what it means when you're told that he's devout? It's telling us that even back then in the first century, not everybody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus and go to church was devout. But he was. 
Ananias is a devout follower of Jesus. You know, Ananias was probably a devoted Jew, according to the law at one point, and then he had come to Christ. He had heard the gospel of Christ. He had asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. Uh, I, re- I, was reading, I was reading Charles Spurgeon's, who lived hundreds of years ago. I was reading his, his message on this, and he wrote something in there. He said this, Spurgeon, that great British preacher, he made this comment. He said, he said, he said sometimes you'll... I'll kind of paraphrase, sometimes you'll be around a person and maybe they'll pray or maybe they're teaching a lesson. And he says this, there is this, listen closely, a secret, sacred something about them. Have you ever been around somebody like that? I think about some of the people, I think about Sam and Marlene League who were original folks that helped us start the church that I pastored back in 02. He's an engineer, she's a secretary. Um, but about, they're about 20 years older than I am. And, and man, when they would pray, it wasn't complicated, but there was just this kind of, Grant, there was this kind of the secret, sacred something about him, you know? And you're just like, you just, you're just kind of drawn to that. Ananias is described as a devoted follower of Christ. And then you also read in, in, in this same chapter, look at, look at chapter 22, verse 12. It says he's well spoken of by all the Jews who live there. Now, that's exceptional. So he is a respected person in the community. I want you to remember that too. You see, listen, at this time, at this time in in church history, if you were called a Christian, they didn't mean it as a compliment. In some places, they don't mean it as a compliment today either, by the way. They didn't mean it as a compliment back then for sure. It, It was meant to be degrading and belittling and to really kind of put you in your place. But but we're told here that even those who weren't followers of Christ, they respected him. You know what's important? If you're, if, you're gonna, if you're going to be used of God in his mission, you know it is important for you, for you to be able to garner the respect of your neighbors. One of, the most, one of the most tragic things that can happen in the life of a church is if a church all of a sudden gets a reputation that, that's, that it's not an atmosphere that there's not an atmosphere of graciousness and, and, and truth being taught. Even if people disagree with your truth, they can still respect you for it. And how does that take place? Well, that's why Jesus tells us to be salt and light. That's why we're told to love one another in Jesus' name. You see, that's what began to kind of crack some of the hard hearts in that first century was as people watched people stand on the one hand for truth, and yet on the other hand, they would speak that truth in love. It was absolutely life-changing. Ananias was respected. He was respected. And then back in chapter 9, just go back there to the key text. In Acts chapter 9, we see that he loved the church. Do do you love one another? Now listen, church is not just an address. Church is just not a building. Interesting story. And this just just, kind of dawns on me, just from memory. My, my My oldest daughter is now 14. My son and her just got back from Philadelphia late last night, so they're at our home church today because it's a, it's a big day and all that, or, or that would have loved for them to have been here today. But my oldest daughter, who's now 14, she went to pre, uh, there was a preschool way back when, I think, here. Just, I'm dating myself. She went to preschool for a little bit, but understand this. Here's my point. She went to a school, to a little class that met in this church building. She was going to church, though. We were planning a church that met in a public school. So when she would see a church building with a steeple, she'd call it a school. When she would see a school, she'd call it a church. <laughs> yeah, church planter case kind of, kind of got messed up, messed up for a little bit. But anyhow, I tried, tried to fix it. But you know what? That's not really all bad. 
Because she just came to view the church not as a building, but as a people, the people, the body of Christ, the family of God, the fellowship. And, and, and what you see here is Ananias. Ananias, down in verse 13 of chapter 9, he says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. It grieved Ananias to know the persecution that his loved ones in Christ had suffered. You know, we ought not to take for granted the fellowship we have with one another. I used to, we used to call our church the Parkway, it's Parkway Baptist Church, but we called it the Parkway Family. Parkwayfamily.org was its website. But I always call it Parkway Family. Finally, one day, a lady came to me. She says, well, you know, we're, I don't know why you call this place a family. I don't know why you call us a family because it's not like we always love one another. I was like, hey, lady, listen, what family did you grow up in? I'm thinking, love each other all the time. I grew up in a family. That's the reason I call it a family because, listen, a family, listen, family is blood. We stick together. And in the Christian family, we saw this picture in our church too. You would have people that were, that were naturally born. We, we have, we're born again. You get that picture in scripture. But then you have the picture of being adopted. We had a lot of adopted children from different countries in our church. And their parents had, had, had gone somewhere and said, yes, you, you are going to be my child. That's what God has done with us. We are his family. And I'm in a lot of different churches now. And that's interesting in ways, in some ways, you know, you kind of roll with it when you do what I do because I, I love being with the fellowship. I love being with the loved ones. One thing being in this role has done is taught me of how many loved ones are out there in Christ. How many brothers and sisters in Christ we really have, really not just here in Virginia, but around this country, not just here in this country, but around this world. As you'll meet people that today have sung songs like what we have sung today with different language, different heart songs. He loved the church. So I want you to understand something. Here's an encouragement. The Lord Jesus can use even the most unknown disciple to make a difference. But there's a second encouragement I see here. We should never be afraid to do God's will. We should never be afraid to obey God's will because it looks like in verse 13, Ananias, he, like, he kind of like, he says, uh, uh, Lord, excuse me. <laughs> now he answers the phone. He doesn't, he answers the call, which is awesome. He does not let God's call go to voicemail. He answers the phone, but then he's got a question or two for God. Uh, God, you, you, now, who did you say? <laughs> did you say Saul? Because I've heard of him. I've heard of him. That would be about like this. It would be about like you getting a call and being asked to go down to the Hardys down here near Interstate 95 and meet one of the leaders from Al-Qaeda who has come to Christ and you're now going to disciple him. That's pretty much how you'd feel. That, I mean, Saul was a terrorist to these folks. And he's afraid. Look, look, just look with me in Acts chapter 9. Look down there at verse 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And, and, and here, he, he has authority here, right here, right here in my town now. He's got authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He has a concern, but I want you to hear the, Lord, the Lord's comfort. You may be afraid sometimes to obey God's will, but I want you to know the safest place, as it's been said by smarter people than me, the safest place to be is where the center of God's will. The Lord says, the Lord says to him, the Lord says to him, look, look there at verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Earlier in the original call, God had already told Ananias, look for him because he's going to be the one praying. 
The Lord had already given him the assurance that this guy's come to Christ. This guy's life has been changed. He's not persecuting now. He's praying now. But I want you to understand something. We don't have to be afraid to obey God's will. I, I, I'll be at, uh, in fact, in, the, in August, there's be a, there'll be a big International Mission Board commissioning taking place here in Colonial Heights. And, and I'll be there and I'll say a prayer. And what strikes me now is I will see grandparents who, who, who are getting ready to send off their children and their grandchildren to a distant land. I remember when my parents came to this, to this church as we were just getting started and we would get locked out of this school and there weren't very many people coming yet. And my, my mom told me later on after our church really grew and took off, she told me later on, she said that first day when I came and we saw what you were doing and you had, you had your, 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 your two-year-old there and your wife was eight months pregnant and you're planting this church. She said, I cried all the way back to Newport News, all the way back home. Of course, after it's all said and done, they're like, oh, this is great, you know. Let me tell you something. You may even have something like a fear. I've, I've taught with men at times, and they'll, they'll be like, I can't, I, can't teach, I can't teach the Bible to anybody. I can't teach the Bible. Because I'll be like, listen, sir, listen. You teach a group of 12 boys how to play the sport of baseball. You, you teach kids football plays. You teach guys how to be Boy Scouts. Let me tell you, you, you most of you in here, you right now, without any more training, you know enough. You know enough. You could go out there right now on the street and you could lead somebody to Jesus. You could. I want you to know that we should never be afraid to obey God's will. Amen. Third encouragement. Third encouragement I want you to see is this. Is, and this is the, I love this part. Look with me in the Bible. Look down there at verse 17. So Ananias, that's what he does, man. He gets the word. He departs. Look at verse 17. And Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me kind of ask you a question, side note here. What, 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 what ends up being Saul's second name? Paul, I know. That's really what it is, but it's kind of a trick question. Actually, you could say his second name was right here in verse, oh, verse 17. What's he called? Brother Saul. You ought to underline that. Imagine this. This man has been a persecutor. He, he watched and aided and abetted the murder of Stephen, one of the first deacons, one of the most famous lay people there in that early church, okay? Saul knew that. He remembered it because he talks about it later on, by the way. He now has come to Jesus, the Damascus Road experience. Students, you hear me on this? He's now blinded, though. He, he hadn't grown up blind. He wasn't used to being blind. Utter darkness, blinded. That's got to be scary. He's there. Probably it would be human nature, I would think, to think, you know what, man, these, I got it coming to me. It would, it would be totally reasonable for somebody to walk up right now behind me and just slap me upside the head. Bare minimum, after what I've done. But this is what he experiences. Door opens. Footsteps. And I kind of imagine it on his shoulders. He feels these hands tap his shoulder. And then he hears the first two words he would hear from Ananias. Brother Saul. Can you imagine how he must have exhaled? It wasn't, well, I've heard you need someone to disciple you. 
It wasn't that. Well, I guess by God's grace, you've made it in here. His grace is sweet because you sure deserved it. It wasn't that. It wasn't condescending. It wasn't self-righteousness. It was Brother Saul. Here's the third encouragement, and get this one down. If you, if you didn't get any of the others, you gotta get this one. The ordinary was just as much a part of the miracle as the extraordinary. I, I hope that'll stick with you today because here's what I want you to picture. On the Damascus Road, remember what had happened to Saul? He'd been blinded, right? In this miraculous occurrence, he had been blinded. Now, and that was by the Lord Jesus, extraordinary Lord Jesus. Now in walks ordinary Ananias, puts his hands on him, says, Brother Saul, and the Bible says, scales fall off of his eyes and he can see. Now let me ask you, what's the bigger miracle? Blinding or unblinding somebody? You know, if you want to right now, I don't know how sunny it is. It was kind of cloudy when I drove in this morning. If you want to, and I don't recommend this. In fact, it'll mess you up for life probably. You could go out and you could stare at the sun and you'll blind yourself. You could pour some chemicals in your eyes and you can blind yourself. You can do that. But I tell you what, if you can unblind somebody, man, we got a show. And if I had people lined up right now, right here that were blind and I started unblinding them, man, we would pack this place. I want you to see that in God's grace and his providence, I think the Lord Jesus actually allows Ananias to experience the miraculous. He calls Ananias and has Ananias be the one that actually comes in and put his hands on him and say, Brother Saul, and he regains his sight. Ananias, it appears, is the one who would end up baptizing Saul and giving him his introduction helping him get into a small group of believers, and he begins to be discipled. I want you to remember the ordinary was just as much a part of the miracle as the extraordinary. See, somebody in here last week, you taught vacation Bible school, and right now you're thinking, you know what? I paid my dues, but I don't know what difference it made. But let me just tell you that perhaps last week, sorry about that, perhaps last week in vacation Bible school, there was a six-year-old little boy right there who heard you tell him about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you, how do you think this is working in the spiritual realm. Do you think the evil one really, really wants you to have an impact on somebody when it comes to Christ? Of course he does not. When you teach God's word, when you minister to somebody in Jesus' name, when you serve that cold cup of water, when you give that word of encouragement, when you invite your neighbor to come hear about Christ, to come to this church, you are doing spiritual battle and you are a miracle worker. Because what is a bigger deal? What is a bigger deal? Doing some type of earthly miracle or being used of God to make disciples? You see, we think the big deal was that Ananias actually helped Saul get his sight back. No, the big miracle was going to be the fact that he was going to help Saul become Paul. He was going to help Saul begin his walk with the Lord. That's the miracle. And God can use you to do that. I think about the preachers I've heard. I think about the big choirs I've heard sing. I think about the two seminaries I got degrees from and all the professors I've had. And I can't hardly remember a sermon, a song, or a lecture. But I still remember Chuck Smelser teaching me third grade Sunday school. I still remember Ms. Gentry in sixth grade Sunday school challenging me to learn the books of the Bible. And she would take us on a roller skating trip. And I learned those books of the Bible and I hate roller skating. 
<laughs> I think about Mr. Keller, whose funeral I did this past year, who taught me when I was a teenager how to stand for my faith and how to trust God no matter what. I think about how God takes ordinary people and uses them for extraordinary purposes. So finally, I want you to remember this fourth encouragement. We must never underestimate the value of one person, disciple for Christ. Of course, you know the rest of the story. He does become Paul, the famous apostle to the Gentiles. Ananias, Ananias, that unsung hero. It was 1992. She was finishing her senior year of high school, just down the street. Star athlete, top of her class academically. What no one knew, even in the midst of her gregarious personality, was that she had gone to a very dark place and did not know what the future should hold for her life. A classmate of hers, football player, instead of asking her to prom, he would later try to do that, ask her to prom, but to begin with, he simply began to talk with her about Jesus. She would say to him, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how unrighteous I am. There's no way that the Lord, I can ever, ever, ever garner the Lord's love. And, and he said, well, there's no way I could either. That's why Jesus came. And he led her to the Lord Jesus and he shared with her God's grace. And she still has the letter to this day that he wrote to her explaining the gospel in just the only way a senior in high school boy would know how to explain. He did it and he did a pretty good job. You see, I've read the letter because that girl would become my wife and the mother of my three children. So if you ever think that discipling one person for Christ doesn't make a difference or isn't valuable, I take exception. I take exception to that because I know it does. And I'm believing you know it does too. A few days after the moonwalk, as they were making their way back to Earth. Our famous astronauts made a television appearance, and Buzz Aldrin said these words on national television. He says, in reflecting on the events of the past several days, a verse from Psalms comes to mind. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe would choose to work through you and me to make disciples of this world. You may never get to walk on the moon, but it is God's design in your life. It is God's desire for your life, and it is God's divine will in your life for him to use you to reach this world for Jesus. You may, you may or may never be a missionary, but you can doggone be a messenger of Christ right here, right now. So I ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads with me in prayer. Our worship leader is going to come. And uh, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me in prayer. And I've, they're going to get you out of here lickety-split. But in the first service, some folks wanted to pray. They wanted to talk with the Lord about, about his encouragement to their heart. And I do pray that it, today's word has been encouragement to you.
Maybe you've grown weary in serving Jesus. Won't you talk with him about it right now? Just bow your head in prayer. You can come up here and make this a prayer altar. You can pray right where you are. Perhaps there's some bitterness that's grown in your life. Maybe you're coveting some type of role that you think is the bright and shining star in the kingdom of heaven, and you need to confess that. You see, there's one master. The rest of us, we're brothers and sisters, bottom line. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, use me. Help me to see where you would use me. Now, if you're here today and you've come in off the street or maybe you've been going to church here for a little bit and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you need to know Jesus is for you. Jesus came for you. And you can come forward and tell one of these men that you, that you need Jesus. You admit that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus and they're going to they're gonna walk with you just as Ananias walked with Saul. Father, I pray right now that you'll just take, take these moments, Lord, and help us just not to be ready to rush on to the next thing. But God, I pray this, this fellowship will, will be encouraged that they are all mission critical. In Jesus' name, amen.